This morning we are continuing our um, Advent journey um, through Matthew and coming to the second chapter um, where we encounter this visit um, from the Magi. Um, But to set that up for us, I kind of wanted to give us um, a picture, if you may, or an analogy, um, one that to me also is related to joy because um, for me it was a joyful thing. And I, I'm glad that Chris is here because there, at least there's going to be one, one expert in the house. But how many of you have ever been to Hawaii before? Anybody been to Hawaii? Okay, well, about eight years ago, um, we got to go to Hawaii as a whole family, my, my, our family, my brother's family, and my parents, because when way, way back in another life, and my brother took a hiatus from college, my dad told him that if you ever go back and finish, I'll take the whole family to, to Hawaii. Um, Little did my dad know that that would mean daughters-in-law and grandkids because 20 years, about 20 years later, my brother did exactly that and finished his degree. And so my dad made good on his promise and took the whole family um, to Hawaii. One of the things that was important for me about going to Hawaii, though, was that I learned the difference between a snow cone and shave ice. Hey, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, because there's a big difference between a snow cone and shave ice, right? A snow cone is just, you know, little teeny cubes of ice with sugar water poured on it, whereas shave ice is joy in a cup, (laughs) right? Okay, simply because, right? Amen? (laughs) Okay, right. Simply because of the difference in the texture, Shave ice, so we actually, when we were in Kauai, we found this great shave ice place that we kept going back to. And so finally I asked the guy, why is your shave ice so good? And he said, because I either sharpen or change the blade every day. And that's what it takes to get the ice so fluffy um, that the flavoring actually soaks into it rather than just sitting on top of it, right? So it changes to something almost... I'm like ice cream. And that actually is a picture of what's happening in our passage this morning. As we see Jesus encountering in his birth at the very beginning of everything, Herod in this passage, and then the Magi playing their role. And as I've titled it, it's really an encounter of star-crossed kings, of the fate Um, of these two kings, one of them the real deal, right? One of them shave ice. (laughs) One of them a pretender. One of them a snow cone. (laughs) But in all kinds of ways, what we need to hear this morning is that we settle for snow cones when we could be having shave ice. And so I'm going to go through this passage and kind of talk about seven different ways. I know it's not a three-point sermon, (laughs) and I know seven is a lot, but I'm going to go through it quick, um, in which that happens um, in our world and in us in all different kinds of ways. But here now, um, the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, And during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them into Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard of the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it was stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thus far, the word of the Lord. So the first thing that we see going on in this passage that gives us a hint of how things are different and in terms of what the real thing looks like is the Magi themselves. They come from afar. They come from afar, and somehow they know more than Herod and then the chief priests and those around him about um, the birth of Jesus because they see the star. And so they come and they ask, well, where is this king to be born? Probably expecting everybody to say, oh, well, over here, we know exactly who that is and what you're talking about. But instead, the response they get is, huh? <laughs> right? And they're disturbed, right? Because what does this mean if there is another king, the tumult that that could cause? But the Magi come from afar and somehow know more and somehow get in on the story, get in on participating in Christ's birth. And so we need to remember that the real deal always includes people from afar. And people who may not be like us. People who we may think don't know what's really going on, but sometimes often end up do, knowing more than we really realize. And so Matthew includes in this account of Christ's birth the Magi coming from afar. And we so often would rather people who are from afar just stay afar, right? Hold them at arm's length. But God's desire is to enfold them into his plan and to his story and to have them become, too, part of his redemptive work in the world. The second thing we see is the star itself. And we often miss this because we get so caught up in the details. Was it a star? Was it a comet? Did that really happen? Can science prove it? Right? Fill in all those blanks. 
But what scripture tells us, not only about Jesus' birth, but in Revelation and in other places, is, when, is that when God is really at work, creation points to it. Creation participates in it because creation longs to be released in its groaning from what it's been subjected to um, in the fall. And so if you really want to see God at work, one thing to look for is does it do that um, in and for and through creation? Revelation gives us all these amazing pictures of how creation participates um, in God's story, in God's plan. And that's exactly what's happening here. Creation is the one who points to the sign and says that's where Jesus is, the creator who will again restore and make this good creation as it was intended to be. Rather than seeing creation something just to be used or exploited or for gain. And so Jesus is pointed to as the real king, um, while Herod um, is again the pretender. The other interesting word in this whole passage that keeps getting repeated is the word worship. Right? The word worship. The Magi come to worship. That word can be translated honor, but Matthew, obviously, in the context of the passage and in the way that it's repeated, is intending something more there. They came to worship. And if we remember anything about Herod, um, Herod was involved in this dramatic, large-scale, huge rebuilding project of the temple. Right of the place of worship, but it was just sugar water poured on ice cubes because he wasn't really concerned about worship. He was concerned about using the temple to hold on to and to consolidate his power. And so the Magi need to step in and show us what it is to come and to worship, and to find the child to come a distance, to sacrifice, to not know what it is that they were even going to find, but to come and to honor and to worship that um, as they found um, Jesus. And the next thing we see um, is that when Herod asks where Jesus is to be born, he's told, um, in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, an out-of-the-way place, not D.C., not the capital, not the center of everything, but something a little bit more out of the way, something a little bit smaller, but yet the right place, because it was the place that the prophets had said that this would happen. You will not be the least, Judah. Because out of you will come the real king, the real thing. And so we often think that we need to be at the center of things, right? To really do what God wants us to do. And we forget that often the best work happens and the best things happen 
on the margins. And when we're not in the center, one of the things that the church, I think, is wrestling with in all kinds of ways is that we used to be more in the center. (laughs) And now our influence is less, and we have less of a place, and we grieve and lament that, but I think we should find joy (laughs) in the fact that we get to do work on the margins. Because that's where the real work of redemption happens. And we're shown that um, in Christ's birth. The next thing we see is not um, just where that happens, but why. Bethlehem, because the king will be a descendant of David and will be the good shepherd. The good shepherd who leads his people where they need to go. Beside still waters, Um, and to green pastures, to truly seek the best and to serve those he's called to lead. Not to use them to hold on to whatever influence and power he has. The real thing is that kind of leadership, that kind of service where we seek the best for all and as many um, as possible. And the next thing we see is that when the Magi do find Jesus, he is what? A child, a baby, someone weak and vulnerable. And we so often settle for snow cones by thinking that the real thing happens through power, through the spectacular, through the big thing. When God keeps trying to tell us over and over, the real thing usually happens through you. (laughs) Through the real you, not the you you wish you were, um, but the you in your weakness and the you in your vulnerability. And God uses us in that and does that over and over. And then the last thing that we see and that we need to know actually sets us up for next week, and that is in the gifts that the Magi bring to Jesus. And I know that all kinds of ink has been spilled on this, but a really basic understanding of that is that gold And frankincense and myrrh were gifts um, for kings. Gold was a gift for a king. And frankincense and myrrh were usually used for embalming. And so Jesus, from the beginning, was a king who came to give his life, to die, so that we might have life. Whereas next week we will see that Herod as the pretender is willing to take life in order to preserve his and his power. And so we see that the real thing involves our willing to give of ourselves, to sacrifice, to lay down life in order for life to happen. And so I've used the word power and authority And I know that most of us don't think, well, I don't have any of that. But actually, we really all do. We all have spheres of influence. 
where we get to choose all the time. Are we going to settle for snow cones? Or are we really going to look for and try to be as much as we can shave ice? Because the difference is, and the reason why that analogy actually works, is because the difference is, is that the spirit, just like the flavoring on shave ice, enters into us, penetrates, is absorbed, and we become the flavor of Christ. If we are willing to let God work in and through that and to be the real thing for the world, for the sake of as many as possible, we get the chance to do that. And so the question for all of us as we go about our lives, are we willing to let faith transform us from the inside out like that? Or do we too often settle for what's easier and just to let it be poured on the surface and not really soak in? And so may you see the real thing at work and join God in being part of that. And may we not settle for snow cones, but let God work um, in and through us in a deep and real and authentic way. May it be so. Amen.